Okay, everybody, welcome back. So we recorded an episode a month ago before the current George Floyd situation, Black Lives Matter protests started. So you'll hear in this next episode, we'll be talking about a crisis, but we will not be talking about that crisis. We'll be talking about the COVID crisis. And I want to make clear on that, that this we decided intentionally to withhold this episode so as not to distract from the long overdue conversation that was going on. And so that is why we are talking about things the way we are. So let's go ahead and play this episode, which we've been sitting on. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Secrets of Story podcast. Welcome back. James, how are you? I'm great. I mean, I, I'm doing okay, actually. You know, like the, the we're, we're bearing up well under this crisis. How about that? I think bearing up well is a nice way of putting it. I think we're all allowed to say we're bearing up well. You know, I would say that if I was. So I think that you are allowed to say it if you are. Wait, you're not? Oh, my God. So uh, funny thing. <laughs> it's it's really going to be funny at some point. But uh, I needed a haircut when this whole thing started. So we went ahead and did my shaver on this, you know, my spacer set to 10 and we shaved my head. Anyway, we did, we went ahead and tried it again today and, you know, my wife put the little spacer on and then she would shave it at 10 and then she's got to take it off and clean it every time to get the gunked in hair out of it from every time you're doing it because it's really made for trimming beards, not for shaving your head. And then, uh, and then she forgot to put the spacer on. And so she just shaved a big white stripe into the back of my head. She was, uh, and then I was like, well, you know, everybody makes mistakes. I'm going to bear this well. Like you were saying, James, I'm going to go ahead and take this in stride. And then she did it again on the front of my head. (laughs) It looks, it looks really bad. Um, (laughs) It looks, it looks really bad. It's like, it's like on How I Met Your Mother when when Marshall shaves his head and shaves Never a stripe into his head at his wedding. Could, it's can that you put bad. up a picture of this? No. <laughs> no, I can't. Uh, that technology no longer exists. It's uh, <laughs> we're living in a post apocalyptic world where such things don't exist anymore. So I uh, I can't do that. Well, this is great. You can look back on this fondly. Um, at some point, I will. At some point, this will be funny. I think Betsy's just trying to take you off the market. Yeah. <laughs> We uh, we just had our 17th anniversary, so I think she accomplished that some time ago. Uh-huh. So, all right, James, what are we here to talk about this week? Well, I, I want to clean up some stuff from last week. Okay. Well, it, last week. But okay, yes, go on. Remember last week, I was talking about the five E's that uh, are good for introducing a character. Do you remember what yes. they are? Oh, let's see. They were eat, exercise, economic activity, enjoy, and emulate. Oh, wow. Do you have it right in front of you? No, I do not. I've been working on a series for the blog that I've not started yet, where I actually apply these five E's to various movies and see if they work. So I have memorized your five E's, which, by the way, should be the four E's, because emulate is just not a thing. Emulate, like, yeah, it's Anonymous Sunshine, which is where you pulled it from, but man, oh man, I'm not finding a lot of emulation. uh, Star Wars and The Force Awakens. It's a stretch. Every place I found it to be a stretch. You'll see. We'll walk through them on the blog, but I'm finding lots of lots of the first four E's on, on well, the movies. Can I I've add two E's? Oh my God. Okay, fine. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't be so bold as to do this if it wasn't for the fact that they both start with the letter E. <laughs> I think I would be more willing to go along with this if they didn't start with the letter E, because at this point, finding more E's just seems like a conceit. Whereas if you were like, oh, I found two that don't start with E, then I'd be far more likely to go like, okay, I'm willing to believe you now if you found ones that don't begin with E. But okay, fine. Let's do two more E's. Get ready to eat your dong. Um, I I do every day. I have to say that I was very uh, impressed and gratified by the response that we had to our last podcast. And a lot of people had a lot of really good points to make. And I don't want to. Yep. I don't want to step on the points that they made. I, I want to kind of bring something original to it because yep. they made their own good points. But the other two E's, although this is starting to get absurd that there are now seven E's, <laughs> um, is explain and evaluate. No, oh, no, hold on. I, I know it's, it's counterintuitive. Those both sound terrible. I don't want heroes who explain or evaluate. Yeah, I, I can, can. I can I try? You can try. So when we go into a movie any movie or a book, not just hard to understand sci-fi or fantasy universes, but like anything, we know that this is uncharted territory, right? We're exploring, yes. hopefully, some artist's sensibility, going to some terra incognita 
Like, so a, a, a Coen Brothers movie is never going to be a science fiction movie, but it's going to be some new way of thinking about the world that you don't usually have, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. Okay. So if someone is explaining stuff from the very beginning, I'm going to do explain first. I'm going to use this in a couple of different senses. If someone is explaining something, it's comforting. We're immediately on their side. Remember, these E's are about getting the audience on the side of the character. Uh, we want to yep. get our bearings as quickly as possible. And if someone is helping us along with this, we're happy to welcome them into our hearts. So everybody says, oh, don't put a voiceover into a movie. Don't put a voiceover in a movie. And maybe that's good advice. But maybe the reason that they say that is because it was overused. The reason it was overused is it was so effective. And when you think about the times that it is effective, like, say, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, immediately, there's admittedly smart-ass kid, but he's explaining the way the world works to you, the way this world works, the world of this movie. In Stand By Me, which I just watched with the girls, there's this monologue, you know, uh, Richard Dreyfus, and he's kind of explaining and introducing everything. And we see that he is, you know, the, the, the bookish intellectual kid of the group of four. And it kind of gets us on his side. Like, okay, this is the kid we're going to follow. Even though he's by far not the most compelling kid from the beginning, like the, the tough kid played by River Phoenix, the crazy kid played by Corey Feldman, even, you know, the fat coward. All of those are more interesting characters than the main character. And the reason we're on our side is only because of that. He's explaining things. Nicholas Cage's monologue, High's monologue at the beginning of Raising Arizona, gets us on his side the way that we wouldn't be on his side if uh, we just saw some you know, a drifter who is just doing one robbery after another. It doesn't even have to be the main character. Sam Elliott in The Big Lebowski is kind of, you know, bringing us into the world and uh, making us care about the world because the way he explains it. We are in a new work of art. We are at sea. We don't know what to think. And if somebody comes forward and starts explaining shit to us, we are kind of compelled. We feel thankful to them. But it's not only that. It's not only somebody explaining the work of art that we're in. It's also just the act of somebody explaining something makes us, our ears perk up. We, we pay attention because they're explaining something. Uh, in Pulp Fiction, when Samuel right. Jackson is explaining to John Travolta's character what a pilot to a TV show is, when John Travolta is explaining what a royale with cheese is, we're interested because somebody is explaining something. It's not aimless banter. Uh, when Hooper comes in in Jaws, we like him because he's the first person who's bothering to explain facts about sharks. Woody, at the beginning of Toy Story, is explaining the relationship between humans and toys. He's explaining that there's a birthday party happening today. And, you know, every Christmas and birthday, we go through this. It doesn't matter how much we're played with. What matters is what we're here for Andy and he needs us. In The All Princess right. Bride, not only in the framing device is Peter Falk explaining things to Fred Savage, but Wesley, uh, you know, the kind of the main character is constantly explaining things to Princess Buttercup of like how to get through like the flame swamps or this or that. And we feel naturally on the side of people who are exp who know shit and are explaining things to others. Uh, it's better when your hero explains something rather than having somebody else explain it to him. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, those CIA spooks come in and they're the ones who want him to find the Ark of the Covenant. But... He's the one who's explaining the Ark of the Covenant to them. Somehow, by yeah. some kind of expo expository jujitsu, he's the one who does the exposition, and therefore we're on his side. If the CIA people or the people who are saying, okay, here's the Ark of the Covenant, here's what it does, here's how you need to get it, and Indiana Jones just sitting there taking it, we wouldn't care about him so much. But he's the one who's explaining it. Even in Silence of the Lambs... So uh, wait, can, can't this be E for expertise then? Oh, maybe. I feel like we're going to end up with 50 E's by the time we're done here. <laughs> so Clarice Starling explains Buffalo Bill to her boss Crawford. Like he, he, I mean, he tells her to explain it, and then she goes in and does. I guess this falls under believe. It shows that our character is a believable part of this explainable world. Certainly in Silence of the Lambs, they've got a very clever device where he is always, he is testing her. This is like her graduation exam. This whole case is... And he is going like, explain to me why I'm doing this as part of your testing. And she's like, oh, well, here's why you're doing what you're doing. And so it's a way to explain to the audience everything that's going on. It's a way to, as you say, let the hero be the one explaining it. And it's a way to turn it into sort of a bit of a test because it's she's not just telling the audience what the audience needs to know. She's being tested and, and passing her test. And it's a very clever device. Yeah. And so I think uh, what, when I say explain, and you resisted this at first, but I think you're coming around. 
the hero should explain shit. I wouldn't say should, but I'd say it can be effective when the hero explains stuff. Well, uh, no, I think if there's explanation to be done, if there's a way to make the hero do it, instead of having somebody else come up to the hero and say, okay, here's how this world works, it's preferable. Yeah, sure. Okay. So that's explained. I, I, did I bring you around to that? I'll see. You know, now you've got me. I've just gone done. I've just gone through and done 20 movies with the five E's. And now you're going to make me go back and do them all with two more E's. What what is E number seven? Dare I ask? Well, I think it's evaluate. And I think what, what this is, is that the hero expresses their values in some way about the concrete situation that they're in. In Raising Arizona, let's say, when High is giving his opening monologue. He's like saying, you know, now prison life is very structured, more than people care for. Or I tried to stand up and fly straight, but it wasn't easy with that some bitch Reagan in the White House. I don't know. They say he's a decent man, but so maybe his advisors are confused. He's kind of giving moral judgments about the world, probably most uh, evocatively when the Holly Hunter character, Ed, uh, she said while she's taking the picture, the, the mugshot of High for the umpteenth time, and she reveals to him that her fiance or fiance or whatever she says in the movie just left her he says you tell him i think he's a damn fool ed and you know he also right. says like prison ain't the easiest place to think he's evaluating the world around him he's not just saying facts about it not just explaining but also evaluating it uh, or he says i don't know how you come down on the incarceration question whether it's for rehabilitation or revenge but i was beginning to think revenge is the only argument that makes any sense please tell me you didn't just watch this movie with your kids did you just watch this movie with your kids i did watch raising arizona with my kids oh my god so we cut out of the last episode this escalating thing of you saying you watched more and more inappropriate movies with your kids raising and, arizona is uh, a great movie to watch with the kids right there's babies okay. kids love babies <laughs> i uh force awakens uh for you know i know you have a lot of problems with it I have problems with it, but fewer problems than you. But we both agree that the introduction of Ray is really well done. And when yeah. in the in Force Awakens, she's after she kind of speaks to BB-8 after some Jawa-like creature tries to capture him, she says, "That's just Tito. He wants you for parts. He has no respect for anyone." She like, she makes a moral judgment about somebody in the situation. She makes a moral yeah. evaluation of what's going on, and that tells us what this hero values and what they think is important in the world. Now, whether or right. not the movie bears this out, that she cares about whether or not people have respect for anyone is debatable. However, I think that works well as an introduction to her. And I can multiply these examples, uh, but I, I think you see what I mean. They don't have to make a big moral stand, but if they simply express a value and say what they value in the world, it doesn't even have to be like, they don't have to put anything on the line. They could just express it and judge it. And I think that tells us so much what they value. So explain and evaluate. I think I've brought you around. I am definitely more resistant to these two E's. The idea that I'm going to tell someone in a book, your character should always explain and evaluate. Like, no, they should never explain and evaluate. That is my first prejudice, is <laughs> that I generally dislike it when characters explain. I generally dislike it when characters evaluate. So much of what you're talking about is voiceover. And you're starting from a point of view of the Coen brothers. And you're starting from a point of view of specifically Raising Arizona. And Raising Arizona is a movie that is nearly perfect, but I think it is not pure cinema. It is not something What, what that... the fuck does pure cinema mean? <laughs> I feel like you're sort of cheating a little bit. You're having some examples of somebody within the movie explaining. And I think your point about Raiders of the Lost Ark with him explaining is a very good point. We do generally want to see the hero explaining to instead of being explained to and we do like expertise we do like it when the hero shows expertise you know it's part of invest part of invest is that you, we want to sense this is a capable hero that this is a hero that other people turn to but with both explain evaluate it's hard to separate out what you're saying from voiceover yes there are some examples of explain yes wesley explaining the fire swamp makes him slightly more likable i guess i don't think anybody watches that movie going like oh i loved that movie because wesley was so good at explaining what was going on in the fire no swamp. but these are these are subtle things i said they're a la carte as well they kind of all build up if he met somebody outside the fire swamp he said here's you got to know about the fire swamp. <laughs> we, we, we would not be as invested. Um, I, I, none of these are sine qua non. They're, they're all just little a la carte things that, I don't know, something else not in English. What am I talking about? <laughs> you, you know what I mean. None of these things have to happen. Um, Ni plus ultra. Yeah, they, but they build up. <laughs> Maybe there's a gestalt of them that... <laughs> 
that uh, that we should both just shoot ourselves. Deus ex machina, um, yeah. Weltanschung. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, most of the examples you gave are examples of voiceover, or I have never even heard described what Ferris Bueller's is. I associate it with House of Cards, even though that was years after Ferris Bueller. The whole turning to the camera and giving first-person narration, I don't even know if there's a name for that. But well, I, it's called Breaking the Fourth Wall, right? Breaking and, the Fourth Wall, I guess, yeah. I, I, but what I'm, he does is that he's explaining how the world works. Like he's like, look, here's how I'm going to fool them on my telephone call, you know, and he does the whole thing with like the coughing on his keyboard. He said, or like, you know, school is like this, uh, school is like that. Here's what the world is really like. He's evaluating and he's explaining and he's evaluating and that's all I need. And look, I, it doesn't have to be just voiceover in, in like The Fugitive, which I just watched with the girls. At the very beginning, Kimball is being interrogated. He's explaining what happened the night of the murder. He's also like explaining things, even in the flashback to the party scene. He's like telling the one guy, like, "Hey, you gotta do this to, for your golf swing to be better." You know, he's he's explaining things. He's he's showing expertise, and he's also evaluating. Like he's talking about the way his tuxedo made him feel. Oh, it makes you feel like a waiter. Oh, I don't like this kind of party. And it, when we see people explain and evaluate, it doesn't necessarily need a voiceover. Like when Tommy Lee Jones as Gerard shows up in the same movie, the reason that he dominates that scene so completely in the first scene that we meet him is that he's constantly explaining and evaluating. He explains to the local uh, cop why his uh, investigation is bad. Uh, and they kind of evaluate the cop who was on the bus and figure out immediately why he was lying. But there's no voiceover there. They're explaining and evaluating both of them, and it doesn't take any voiceover at all. Right. And I think that I'm more going with your point on cases where it's not. I think that when I started going through my old example movies and looking at them, you know, I'd meant for a long time to go back and write about Believe, Karen, and Fest in each of these movies. And I sort of used your five E's as an excuse to go back and do it. So I'm writing about Believe, Karen, and Fest, and then sort of sort of as a joke, I'm going like, oh, no, let's check out the five E's. Not as a joke, but, you know, as sort of as a, a gimmick. Let's go back and check out the five E's in each of these things. And I was just going to rewatch the first 15 minutes of each of these movies. And they are 25 of the greatest movies ever made. Most of them are universally acknowledged all-time classics. A few of them are more personal preferences of mine. But of the 25 movies, I haven't done them all yet, but I've done most of the 25 movies. And of the ones I've done, guess what the only one where I watched the first 15 minutes and I said, I can't stop watching this movie. I have to finish this movie. Guess what that was? It has to be The Fugitive. I haven't done The Fugitive yet, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I end up doing The Fugitive. If, if I see that, it's on at any point in it, I will sit down and I'll watch the whole thing. Yeah, I talked about that on the blog one time as passing the TBS test. <laughs> Meaning, you know, if you're flipping around TV and you're you're on TBS and you see a middle of a movie on, will you keep watching it? But, you know, it's one of the movies that is the least acclaimed movies of my 30 example movies is Donnie Brasco. Mm. And I watched the first 15 minutes of Donnie Brasco and I'm like, this is so damn good. I have to go back and watch this whole movie, even though I've been watching the first few minutes of so many of the greatest movies ever made and been able to stop watching after 15 minutes. This one I have to finish. And I love that movie. And every time I see that on my list of example movies, I'm like, I really should have done Goodfellas because Goodfellas is the universally beloved classic gangster movie of the 90s. And that's the one that no one would be surprised to see on the list. And I think people are surprised to see Donnie Brasco on the list. You know, Goodfellas was directed by Martin Scorsese. Donnie Brasco was directed by Mike Newell, who directed Four Weddings and a Funeral. <laughs> and a couple <laughs> and, of Harry Potter movies, right? And and one Harry Potter movie. Yeah. And like, you know, how can you say that Mike Newell, who directed Four Weddings and a Funeral, is a better gangster director than Martin Scorsese? It's the <laughs> ultimate sacrilege. But I prefer... Donnie Brasco, and I certainly prefer it to The Irishman, the most recent Scorsese movie, and it's because of voiceover. I have an inherent distaste for voiceover. Now, obviously, for both Explain and Evaluate, you talked about Racing Arizona. Racing Arizona is one of the greatest films ever made, has one of the greatest voiceovers of all time, and it can distort how much you love voiceover. It's funny, I was going back and I was looking at Scorsese's movies and he made Goodfellas and people were shocked that Dances with Wolves won Best Picture that year and Goodfellas didn't. And then Scorsese finally won Best Picture for The Departed, which everyone agrees was not as good as Goodfellas. But I think it's no coincidence that The Departed is one of Scorsese's only recent movies that did not have a lot of voiceover. It begins with just a little voiceover at the beginning from Jack Nicholson. But DiCaprio has no voiceover. Matt Damon has no voiceover. It is mostly a voiceover-free movie, and I think it is no 
coincidence that that was the movie he finally won Best Picture for. And I think it was no coincidence that he did not get any of the Oscar love they expected him to get for The Irishman. And The Irishman was just nine gazillion globs of voiceover just oozing out onto the viewer the entire time it's playing. I haven't haven't seen The Irishman, but I think the reason this is the case, maybe, is because everybody who votes on these movies, the Academy or whatever, are all like brain-melted film nerds like you who they had it rounded to their head in film school. Voiceover is bad. Voiceover is bad. Voiceover is bad. So you can't see it objectively for when it works and when it doesn't. I mean, I think that's true to a certain extent. I think that looking at the way these things line up, looking at who tends to win and who doesn't? Well, and of course, with the Coens, did not get any Oscar love for Raising Arizona. They got much more for Fargo, which is a movie that has no voiceover, if I remember correctly. And they then eventually won for No Country for All Men, which just has a little bit of voiceover, not as much as some of their other movies. And I think that there is a, a prejudice that I had not really picked up on. I think that there is a sense that they have that is not, that is maybe exaggerated, But I think there's something to it that pure cinema does not have voiceover. Now, obviously, you know, on this podcast, we go back and forth between book advice and movie advice. And, you know, I think that the debate when it comes to books is, you know, should you have first person or third person, which is sort of like the debate in movies. Should you have voiceover or should you have non-voiceover? Would you say that you tend to prefer first person, you know, would when you say you like it explaining and evaluating Obviously, in a book, it's easier to explain and evaluate in first person. Are you saying that's a reason to write in first person? Uh, no. I, I, I mean, I, I think that there is no universal advice here. I think it's just like, depending on the story you want to tell, it's going to assume its natural form. Um, and you'll find ways to get the audience on your side, whether by hook or by crook, with like these various a la carte techniques or other techniques. Um, like, but I, I wouldn't say... I, I mean, this is this is the ultimate case by case thing. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't think I'd want to read a first person Harry Potter, for instance, um, and and I don't want to have uh, Star Wars or the voiceover. But that doesn't mean that those things aren't usable in other movies and books. They find their natural place. Well off art house film goers like who went to go see Raising Arizona probably aren't the lower class desperado that nick cage played (laughs) um so they needed to have an entree into him in a way for him to seem like not threatening otherwise we just watch a guy holding up a bunch of liquor stores and getting put in prison somebody just working as a graphic designer is gonna be like well i don't i don't find my way into that guy Uh, um, right so i mean even with goodfellas that was the same calculation like hey you don't know this world and this is kind of goes to my explain thing and i'm gonna i'm gonna guide you through it and you you kind of might need me to kind of straighten some things out for you. We naturally side with that voice. We we well, the, want to be guided. The funny thing about Donnie Brasco is that like, I don't know, you know, you say explain, evaluate. I'm watching Donnie Brasco. I love how silent he is. I love how still he is. I love how they drop us into this world and they do not explain what's going on. They do not hold her hand. They do not bend over backwards to get us to love Donnie and or explain who he is or what he's doing or let him talk about who he is or what he's doing. But it's funny because the best remembered part of that movie the one part of that movie that is has sort of joined the cinematic pantheon is one of the all-time great explain monologues where do do you recall this they ask uh it's actually Paul Giamatti and speaking of the Coen brothers Paul Giamatti and Tim Blake Nelson in very small parts very early in their careers are audio technicians for the FBI who are in charge of transcribing Donnie's tapes, and they ask him, what is the meaning of the word forget about it? Uh Uh-huh. I haven't seen the movie. You've never seen the movie? Okay. I'm going to play it right now. Hey, can I ask you something? What's forget about it? What is that? Forget about it. It's like, uh, if you agree with someone, you know, like Raquel Welch is one great piece of ass, forget about it. But then, if you disagree, like a Lincoln is better than a Cadillac, Forget about it, you know? But then it's also like if something is the greatest thing in the world, like Mingi, those peppers, forget about it, you know? <laughs> but it's also like saying go to hell, too. Like, you know, like, uh, hey, Bully, you got a one-inch pecker, and Bully says, forget about it. Forget about it. Bully, forget about it. <laughs> Sometimes it just means uh, forget about it. All right. 
Thank you very much, I got it. Let me tell you something, I don't get this bow for Lefty. What? Forget about it? Fucking forget about it. Again, all of these explain, evaluate, eat, exercise, they're all a la carte. They don't have to happen. It's, it's perfectly okay for you have a silent hero who's not saying much or giving much away. Th these are a la carte things that don't have to be there, but they're heuristics that have been found to be helpful in the past. But but when you say explain, evaluate, my first thought is like, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want a hero to explain, evaluate. That's something I would actively dislike. But it's not true because even with Donnie Brasco, I like how at first he's not explaining, he's not evaluating, he's, he's keeping his cards very close to his vest. And, you know, at one point he has a line like, don't say nothing unless there's a reason for it. That's mm -hmm. one of his key lines as a character. I like that a lot as a character, who is obviously very different from High from Raising Arizona. But then he has this scene. And it's a great <laughs> explain monologue. He's doing this reluctantly. He doesn't want to explain, but the guys are his helpers. He sort of feels he owes it to him. He reluctantly explains. As long as it can be something the hero does reluctantly, mm -hmm. it can be great. It can be great to hear hero explain. You know, my first instinct is to say, oh, no, 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 no. That's the last thing I want to do. But, you know, you're right. I think you're making a good point. It's often you talk about Hooper in Jaws. I mean, Hooper in Jaws is not anybody's favorite character in Jaws. You know, like it's sort of a thankless task to be the explainer. Mm -hmm. It's sort of it's sort of thankless for Hooper and Jaws to be the explainer. Will Wheaton is not anybody's favorite character in Stand By Me. It can be a thankless task being the explainer, but it can bond us to a character. So I'm going to go ahead and give you explain, but I'm not going to go ahead and look at all 25 of my movies and look <laughs> at explain because my first instinct is still to go like, oh, that's the one I'm most uncertain about. So but isn't your whole isn't your whole brand counterintuitive advice? It's true. And like, like you, you know, the whole is... thing is like you're iconoclastic and people say, oh, people tell you to do this. But in fact, I, Matt Bird, have found, you know, that you actually do are supposed to do this or like or like what they're telling you is wrong. Like that you're you, this is this is very uh, this this is on brand for you. I uh, uh. Uh, but all right, well, let's look at evaluate because okay. evaluate. Okay, so uh, my girls and I did a uh, Tommy Lee Jones kind of film festival, and we also watched Men in Black. <laughs> and um, from the very beginning, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith are evaluating situations, and, and they're saying kind of like what's right and what's wrong. Like, like Will Smith is being interrogated after he chases down the person who turns out to be an alien, and one of the cops is giving him a hard time. And he's, he says, oh, you know, you shouldn't eat so many donuts. If I, you couldn't chase them down, I, I could. Like, he, he's evaluating. He's, like, saying, you know, th this is the right way. This is the wrong way. We're on his side. He's like, yeah, that guy is a fat piece of shit. And I saw you run and chase down that guy. You're, you're right. He's wrong. We, we don't want to have somebody who takes, who's an utter moral neutral or cipher. We want somebody who stands no. for something. It, they don't have to make and a total stand. They just have to enunciate what they believe in. And, you know, once I went back and looked at this, I realized this is on the checklist, that this is sort of two places on the checklist. I talk about the importance of this. I talk about, does the hero have rules that he or she lives by, either stated or implied? Then the next question is, is the hero surrounded by people who sorely lack his or her most valuable quality? And then the next question is, and is the hero willing to let them know that subtly uh -huh. or directly? And I do think it is very important that heroes evaluate. I sort of didn't realize this when you were saying to me originally, and then I was like, oh, wait, this is on the trick list. Yeah, it is super important that heroes evaluate. If we do not find out how the hero feels about things, then we are not going to love that hero. That is, this is an important thing. This is an important part of it. But you do have me wanting to go back and see if these characters evaluate. You should. I don't think that's an ideal word. The word evaluate still sounds unappealing to me. <laughs> like, I don't know why, you know, but okay. Uh, um, I mean, it's, it's an active verb. Strunker White would be happy. I think what I I, I do is like you like to enunciate broad principles and here I'm just making it more granular. And when you say believe, care and invest kind of, there's a lot to unpack there. And so like, we're just giving two kind of viewpoints on the same thing. It's like, okay, believe, care and invest, but how do you believe, care and invest? Well, here are some very specific ways in which to do it that you don't have to do all of them, but you know, that these are tried and true methods. Yeah, I do think it is good to evaluate. I do think it is good. And it's funny, I talk about if a hero is evaluating, you want to hear them actually evaluate in real life, in real time. Well, I mean, let's look at Donnie Brasco. The Donnie Brasco at the beginning, Lefty, the Al Pacino character, comes to Donnie, the Johnny Depp character, and he's like, I want to find out if this jewel is fake. And Johnny has gone undercover as a jeweler, and he convinces him it is fake. And he does it in a great way where he doesn't tell him, since this is a made guy in the mafia, and he doesn't want to embarrass him. So he just says, he's like, oh, is this jewel fake? And he's like, well, do you have a do you have a wife? Do you have a girlfriend? Give it to her. 
she'll love it. And, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's fake. Going like, she'll love it. She won't care. She'll love it. It'll be fine. And he's like, going, did somebody give me a fake jewel? Somebody paid off this debt with a fake jewel. And that's, that's exactly, you know, we love Donnie, you know, that's, that's, we love that he is being cool about it and he is engaging a little bit of strategy. He is being cunning about how we do it. We always like cunning characters, but he is also very much evaluating and very much showing off his expertise and very much explaining. But, but even then he's reluctant to explain. He doesn't want to explain mm-hmm. what's going on. He wants to, he evaluates, but he's reluctant to explain, which is something I like about him. But yeah, no, we want heroes who evaluate. One thing I talk about in the book, in the blog, is that usually we want a character who is going to say out loud how they feel about something. But occasionally you get characters who don't do that. And in those cases, it's better to have voiceover. Three examples I cite where you have characters who really aren't the sort of character who will tell somebody else what they think of them, but they do it in the voiceover, which is an excellent voiceover, are the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Mean Girls, mm-hmm. and The Apartment. Aha. And these are all three examples where I think voiceover is really well used in those movies, partially because you have sort of nebbishy heroes. You have sort of heroes who are afraid to speak up and afraid to let them afraid to let their feelings be known and uh, certainly afraid to be funny uh-huh. i think all three of those characters are characters who would you know really either would not or cannot be funny in real life and you know i think e- there's even cases where each of them attempt to tell a joke and it goes terribly and you know they're not witty people but they have very witty voiceovers and we can hear that in their head they're funny witty sparkling incisive People, you know, people who have good things to notice and say, but they they are not conveying it to the world. And that's fine because in those movies, the voiceover lets us know that these are witty, incisive, clever people, but they aren't doing it out loud. So I think that is one reason because the audience does want that. It's good in that case to have voiceover. I think that's an excellent reason. Yeah. Voiceover. Instead, instead of like saying voiceover is bad, why don't we kind of elucidate the cases which voiceover is good or even necessary, that's a more helpful thing to do than to just say, oh, this is like the 180 rule. Here's something you just can't do. And it's just like, if, you, if, if all of your advice is like, you can't do this, you can't do that, then the advice is just going to shut people down and make them bad and sterile creators. Of course, we could now go through and go like, let's create the iron rules of voiceover. Here is who is allowed to have a voiceover and who is not. <laughs> and I think we may then be working <laughs> cross purposes then. I think we may end up doing the opposite of what we intend to do. But certainly that was something I had not even occurred to me, but that was something where only as I go back and look at these rules on my checklist, I'm going like, oh, right, that was that was one case where that was one of the few times on my blog or in my book or in my videos where I said, oh, you should really have a voiceover here, where it's the hero's only chance to let us know that they're actually on the ball. Mm -hmm. Maybe, I mean, I was going to say, oh, counterintuitively, it would seem, although I haven't seen the movie, that Donnie Brasco is the kind of movie that would really benefit from a voiceover because here's somebody who keeps their true nature kind of shielded all the time but the audience wants intimacy. And so therefore a voiceover would work. But then again, the thing that is this person's superpower, if I read your take on the movie correctly, is that they kind of don't have interiority and they're able to be a chameleon in this way. Well, when I listed on the blog, does the hero have rules he or she lives by? I said that one of his rules, which is his superpower, is don't say nothing unless there's a reason for it. And right. So it you was, can't have a voiceover person. He, <laughs> you role. can't have a voiceover. Like the voiceover, for all we know, there is a voiceover in that movie, and it's just silent. He's <laughs> just being <laughs> giving a totally silent voiceover the entire time. And Scor- if Scorsese had made Donnie Brasco, he would have slathered that thing in voiceover. <laughs> he would have given it nine metric tons of voiceover. And you just don't need it. You just don't need it. Yeah, because you're right. Like, we have no idea what's going on in Donnie's head for most of this movie. Like, he is living an entirely different life in his head than he's living outside. He is living this life as a mafioso, and he is not a mafioso in his head. It would be fascinating knowing what's going on in his head the whole time. But But I think it is pure cinema. And I think that John Ford didn't use voiceover. Howard Hawks didn't use voiceover. Now Billy Wilder did. (laughs) <laughs> so, but maybe, but maybe you know, but... voiceover is best deployed when there's an ironic kind of split between what's being said in 
the person's head, what their voiceover, and what's happening on the screen. But if the whole person's existence is already an ironic split, then it's putting a hat on a hat. When I did the checklist for Don Brasco and I talked about tone, I talked about like, well, you know, is there a framing sequence? Like there's not a framing sequence in terms of a flash forward. It doesn't begin with everybody's arrest and then go back and show what happened. There's not a framing sequence in terms of, you know, a narrator. There's not a framing sequence in terms of briefing or debriefing or anything like that. The closest thing they have to a framing element is they have a literal framing element. At first, you do not know that Donnie is an undercover FBI agent until when he is leaving the building with Lefty, we suddenly cut to surveillance photos being taken of them. You hear a photograph go off and the image becomes a still black and white photo for a second. And then they're moving and then the image freezes and becomes a still black and white photo. And that is the only framing element is a literal framing element. The frame becomes a frame, becomes a frame, (laughs) figuratively speaking. And this whole thing is one large entrapment scheme. And that is the one thing we have. That is our one ability to literally step out of the movie, step out of the frame, step out of the film medium and go, okay, someone is framing this in every sense of the word. Someone is getting this on film. Someone is shooting pictures of this. Then we can guess, oh, Donnie is an undercover agent. Oh, Donnie is setting up an elaborate takedown of these people. Someone is surveilling Donnie, hopefully his people. (laughs) We assume it's his people. Maybe it's other people. And I love that. I love that that is your only essential tone setting tool in the movie. That's the only distancing effect in the movie is just somebody's watching. Uh-huh. Nope. Okay, now we're back in the movie. Now we're back in it. You know, yeah. we t- we stepped out for a second to see that someone was watching. Now we're back in it. We can guess what's going on. We can guess who Donnie is. Now we can try to guess what's going on in his head, which is hard to do. It's not until about 20 minutes in, he sneaks away and calls his wife that we have any confirmation of who he is or what he is or any sense of what's going on in his head. But it's great. So yeah, evaluate is important. Certainly, I'm going to go ahead. I guess let's go ahead and start wrapping this up. I feel like I still have a natural aversion to the words explain and evaluate, even though I see that evaluate was very much already sort of part of my advice and explain I see is a very viable thing and can be a very good thing. It can also be a weaker thing. It can also be something that is going to make the part more of a thankless part in some ways like Hooper and Jaws. But as I'm going through these movies, I'm seeing that it's funny. They eat in almost all of them. Uh Eating is very, very common. Exercise, not as common. Certainly, you know, Ripley and Alien, there's no exercise there. There's no shortage of movies without an exercise element. Economic activity, almost always. Very important. Enjoy. Enjoy is great. I'm seeing where ads watch movies to see people enjoy. And I'm seeing movies where in the cases where the character doesn't enjoy, I'm seeing how it makes it harder to identify with the hero. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's one reason why I've never why it's hard, super hard for an audience to identify with this hero right away because they never enjoy it. You look in a movie like The Babadook and Mm -hmm. someone who is truly not capable of enjoying. And I'm like, on the one hand, that's powerful. And, you know, the fact that we want it is a powerful thing. The fact that we want her to be able to enjoy anything at all and she can is a powerful thing. But I still found myself thinking if they had just shown a quick montage showing five seconds of her and her son enjoying playing a game together during the day before they went through their sort of hellish ritual at night, I think it would have helped that movie. I think it would have been good to show just a little, it's like, oh, she is a human being. She can enjoy herself. Her life isn't completely hellish all day long. It's only hellish 80% of the time. Yeah, it makes it easier to believe in that case. There's like a weird, like, like anhedonic strain in movies from what, like, 2005 to 2015 of just like <laughs> everything had to be grim and dark. I mean, do you agree or does that sound? Yes, I totally agree. There is something anhedonic going on. And we never it, knew we had it so good. Yes. Yeah. We thought life was bad. What did we know? Um, so I think, I think that's good. Emulate, like I said, I'm having a hard time with. Explain. Evaluate. Yeah. Sure. I'm not going to go back and do those. I think the five E's are stronger than the seven E's, but I think that you've made a case for these. Yeah, and... I mean, again, it's 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 a la carte. Like uh, they they don't have to all be used. In fact, they shouldn't all be used. But these are you find yourself stuck. Here's some here's some tricks. Okay, but let's go ahead. You know something we have not done in a long time is free story ideas, which is a shame because I we haven't been doing it because our episodes have been really long. And it could be this one will turn out to be too long by the time I cut it, even after I've cut it down. And we're going to cut it from this episode, too. But let's assume we're going to do it. Let's assume we're going to do a free story idea. And I want to get back to free story ideas because I have some fun ideas to pitch. But it's your turn, James. And so you came up with a great solution where, in case this episode is long, you've got something that's not going to take very long. It's more of a silly Let's take it seriously. All right. Oh, okay. I'm gonna All right. This gun. is very grim. 
This is very grim. This is very serious. I'm going to shotgun a bunch of ideas to you. I'm going to pitch something. I'm going to tell you the title of it. And then you're going to tell me how you can make it work. Okay. And then I'm going <laughs> okay. to go on to the next thing. And the next thing, the next thing. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So, all right. First idea. I think I'll, I'll have 10, maybe 15 ideas here. Okay. Okay. Tough economic times, right? Right. So um, one of the ways that uh, places that they still make money in America is by cracking up the shale and releasing the gas underground. That's right. There is a woman who she lost her job as a secretary and she has this family. She's got five kids and she realizes it, that she could make a hundred thousand, two thousand thousand dollars a year uh, doing this job, you know, extracting this gas in the ground in like North Dakota. But these towns, it's all men living there. Um, and, right. and this is this is true. Like, look it up. There's these towns that have like sprung up overnight uh, of doing this stuff. So she goes there. It's kind of a fish out of water thing. She brings her whole family there to take a job doing it, and it's called Mother Fracker. So here's the problem: <laughs> is that um, this is actually goes back to the very first episode we recorded this podcast four years ago, where you were doing these elaborate pun titles. No, no, no! Don't, don't call out the I... conceit. Just try <laughs> to d- d- just engage with the idea. Um, no, you're going to do ten ideas, and I'm going to engage with each one and pretend it wasn't just a pun. Yeah, title. yeah, yeah. That's the fun of it. Just do it. Just do it. It'll be fun. It's like an improv exercise. No, it is after midnight. I'm not going to actually pretend. I'm not going to be the butt of this joke and pretend. Just give me these three or four sentences about Mother Fracker. I think it's a great title. It's a great concept. It, 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 you know, uh, touches on, uh, like you say, real life national pain. Uh, Mother Fracker, how would you make it work? How would I make it work? I think it could be great. I think it could be, you know, Norma Ray. It could be North Country. It could be, you know, any movie about a woman working in an all-male workplace. No, I think that there, you know, there is a great fracking movie to be made. I think that there is a great woman working in an all-male town movie to be made. I think that you just pitched that idea, though, in order to make a crude pun. Okay, how about this? uh, Tough economic times, right? Uh, Yes. Streaming services, they're all fighting against each other, all trying to get a leg up on another. One of them gets the idea to have an artificial intelligence handle their finances. And it's called- Oh, really? It's called C-3PO HBO CFO. (laughs) How would you make it work? I I, um, I think- Again, I think you may have just come up with that plot description in order to make a pun. I know. That's okay, what, well, good beyond that. Tell me how I'm you'd make it work. <laughs> I spent the entire time you were pitching that trying to figure out what the pun was going to be and not actually paying attention to how I would fix this title. So let's move on. Okay, so there's a person who is the prince who is going to inherit the throne, right? But it turns out that their own father is nothing but a wig and it's called <laughs> air apparent parent hair apparently <laughs> like like wig like w-h-i-g or or you mean like an actual wig w w-i-g but it could be a, a wig with a wiggish interpretation of history um what do you think can we work it um, I how, how would we that, make that work i think I think it would be pretty fucking funny to have a movie with that title and that plot, and then it's just dead serious. It's just hair apparent, apparent hair apparently. <laughs> like, like all the reviews are like, you know, I thought from the title and plot description this was going to be a funny movie, but there's not a single joke, there's not a single <laughs> laugh to be had in this grim seven-hour <laughs> slog about uh, the actual thing that this actual person would go through. Okay, um, the, the the singer yeah. of Jane's Addiction uh-huh. has a duo of women who can fly and they take <laughs> care of his children, but they're wild. And they work yeah. at a place where you can buy clothes for like like otherworldly creatures. It's called Perry Farrell's Pair of Feral Aerial Aw Pairs Fairy <laughs> Apparel Fair. <laughs> do you think you could get Perry Farrell to play himself? Do you think he's like self-aware? Do you think he'd be in on the joke, or is oh, this yeah. the sort of thing where he needs to make rent? 
Um, they, this is this is like Mel Torme on Night Court. You think he would go for yeah, it? Yeah, and the feral aerial <laughs> au pairs, like that's gold right there. Like that, that, that I'd love to see a, a pair of feral aerial au pairs. So I should explain that this was this goes back four years ago to when we very first did the first episode of this podcast, and you said, "Hey, after we talk about our topic for this week's episode, let me let me just do a bunch of puns." No, and I, I was like, I said, no, James, "These are all real ideas." I think you said, I said, TV. "I said no, James. That is not what this show is going to be. It is time to establish our brand, and our brand is not a bunch of long, elaborate, belabored puns." And so I cut it. And you've been trying to get it back in ever since. And so here we go. Okay. And you know, I was always afraid that we. Would do this occasionally you would pitch it to me again and i would be like well no don't do it now because i won't laugh again when <laughs> you try to do it again the second week and i was like well i didn't laugh very much the first week i'm definitely gonna la- not gonna laugh when i hear him again I but now it's been, it's been four years and i've forgotten everything that you had and now i'm laughing so now we can go ahead and keep i've going got one more i've got one more. what's your what's your next one james okay but hold on how would you how would you do perry farrell's peripheral uh, a pair of feral aerial au pairs, uh, fairy apparel fair. I think it could work well. I think that it would be like the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, JCVD, or the new Nicolas Cage movie they're making now, where you've got an actual star poking fun of their own persona. You've got the creator of the Lollapalooza Festival dealing with actual a pair of feral. <laughs> pair of feral aerial au pairs? Okay, here's the next one. This one's good. All right, so this is about the benefits and the drawbacks of kind of novels or any kind of writing done by people who are in prison. But every episode begins with a kind of like a toast by the leader of the kind of annual uh, gathering of people who are both into the 1992 third-party presidential (laughs) candidate and... The guy who played the villain in Titanic, and it's called Pros and Cons of Pros by Cons with Prost by Con of Perosane Con. I think that if you could manage to write these, James, your goal, your job, if you choose to accept it, is to write these and write the hell out of them and write them so well that people forget the title is a pun. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, oh, yeah, that's a great title because that really describes what's going on. And then they're like, oh, I guess it's kind of a pun, too. <laughs> so do you think, Sony, they're, 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 they're scrolling through Netflix and they'll click on pros and cons of pros by cons with prost by con of pros and con and then and then they're gonna it's gonna occur to them after they after they loved the movie for and been thinking about how much they love that movie for like two weeks they're suddenly gonna go like wait just a second i just got the title the title was kind of a pun on some level yeah and i just got that because they were too busy thinking about your your characters. Yeah. They were too thinking about how moving the plight of your characters were. And it didn't even occur to them that the title had sort of a punished quality to yeah. it. Wait, hold it. Star Wars? It's not Wars in the Stars! <laughs> um, okay, I, I got one more. This might not be as good. This is oh, wait, you said that was the last one. Really? You, you had said it was the last one, but I'll give you one more. Okay. Okay. So this is a mystery. Okay. It's about... Uh-huh the author of Infinite Jest. Right. And he has performed some kind of ritual that has created like tulpas or kind of like counterparts or kind of, you know, like shadows <laughs> of people. But it's right. all happened at like the hall for the veterans of foreign wars near the airport by Dallas. <laughs> and it's DFW's deeds have doubled who at DFW's VFW? <laughs> I think that one works actually best as a, as a possible plot. DFW's no. deeds have doubled who at DFW's VFW? No, that would be terrible because it's a little late for David Foster Wallace to uh, poke fun at his own persona. I think that no, no, but sailed. he's now a villain in kind of like pop culture in a way. He's like, oh, he's he's got a guy who wrote that unreadable book, and then like it turns out he was a big sexist and he threw Mary Carr out of a car. You know, oh my god, I could do something with that, Mary Carr. Out of a car. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, but yeah, uh, um, but 
yeah, VF, DFW's deeds have doubled who at DFW's VFW. I think it, that, that's like a Twin Peaks kind of mystery, but like kind of, you know, with a with a true detective kind of Southern feel. Yeah, I think that, that you have, I think you've got a lot of work ahead of you, James. You're going to write. I expect you to just as just as when we did that first episode so long ago and I pitched the like a story. And then the next week I was surprised that you would come back and written an entire screenplay based on the like a pitch. I am at this point going to go like, oh, James, you blew off this assignment and you wrote these silly pun titles and you didn't really have a free story. I did a pitch and you're going to come back next week and you're going to have turned every single one of these into a 120 page screenplay. And you're going to say, like, I'm not leaving here, Matt, until we read and enact all the voices in awe five of these two hour screenplays i've written matt you, okay, you're, you're, your task is laid out before you I okay james you're the one who you has have, to do it i i wrote the script last time you have officially taken the piss james you have officially uh knocked knocked us down a peg for our lofty narrative expectations of what a free story idea would be and uh, I think it's been wonderful. I think it's been funny. I think because we, we waited four years, they became funny again. I laughed. We got some actual laughter on the audio. This has been very good. I will have an actual free story idea to pitch next time we actually these the episode actual, does not go so over long. These are all actual and ideas. You should make a uh, script of each one of them. Okay. So I think this is great. I think we've got a good episode here. I will go ahead and give an update next time we come back as to how well my hair has grown back in. Oh, good, good. And I... Uh, it's going to look really bad for a really long time. And it's, it's, you know, it's, I hope you find it funny, America, because I'm not finding it funny yet. I'm just not, but I felt like I had to talk about it. Because... Can you change the icon of the, of the, um, in the same way that we changed the icon of the podcast before, because you and me fighting in Mortal Kombat, and I don't know why you changed it back. Could you like make the new like icon with you with that hair? The whole reason I changed it back is because I don't like the way I look. And no, I'm not going to have an escalating series of me looking worse and worse and worse uh, as as the series of icons. You're just like, you're like, oh, yeah, this podcast has been around for four years. Oh, and here's pictures of Matt. And oh, go, God. Oh, wait. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> the pictures are just getting worse. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we're not going to do that. But um, okay, all right, James. All right, we will. You. This has been a fun episode. We. I tried a new audio program here. Hopefully, it's going to sound better for everybody out there in America. We're going to come back soon. Uh, our live episode from SWDI was canceled because all live events have been canceled. But we're going to come back soon with another episode. Thank you so much for coming out tonight, James. Ah, uh, thank you well, too. I say coming out. Thank you much so for virtually coming out yes. tonight, James. Standing, pacing in my basement while holding my laptop. Yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, thanks, America. We'll see you soon. Go and sin no more. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Story podcast. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you found us. Go to secretsofstory.com and click on the Secrets of Story podcast in the sidebar to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. Find out about James's novel, The Order of Oddfish, and more at jameskennedy.com. And hey, if you'd like a free audio copy of that book or my book, sign up for a free trial of Audible at our special landing page, www.audibletrial.com slash secretsofstory. We get a few bucks and you get a free book. We're on Twitter at Secrets of Story 1 and at I am James Kennedy. Our music is by Haddon Kime. Our logo is by Jessica Friday. See you next time.